0: I'm going to be tackling the question, is being proud of your achievements the same as being prideful? Right? Bit of an interesting topic. You asked for it, so I'm answering it. Don't blame me. Now, here at this church, we love celebrating. As Shemaine and and Ellie just did, we handed out crunchy bars. We love celebrating and, you know, we love giving out crunchy bars to anyone and anyone who wants to celebrate anything. I honestly believe we keep the crunchy bar operation line, like, going. Like, I never see anyone else buying a crunchy bar. Like if it wasn't for the Elam Churches of New Zealand, I don't know if the Crunchy Bar would still exist. Um, But it does. And we love celebrating because we feel like, in fact, we know that celebration comes from the heart of God. Right? We believe that church is about celebrating the good news. That Jesus didn't just die for us, but he rose again three days later. And so we, we get people up. We say, well done. We say, good work. We say, you should be proud of your achievements. Right? We clap our hands. We cheer. And every now and then I'll stomp my foot in excitement. Like we're so excited to celebrate because there's something invigorating about seeing people do well. And so across all of our campuses, all six of them in every single service, we hand out that hokey pokey goodness to anyone that would dare to wander up to the front. We love celebrating because it's invigorating to see people do well. It's exciting to see people excel and succeed. We acknowledge and we highlight people's efforts and our heart is that they would feel proud of their achievements there's something that just seems so right about that. There's something that seems so right about coming together as a family and celebrating. And yet we read in scripture in Proverbs 16 verse 18 in the Passion Translation, it says, your boast becomes a prophecy of future failure. The higher you lift yourself up in pride, the harder you'll fall in disgrace. Now we've been asked a very interesting question and it's how we reconcile the difference, I guess that idea between being proud of your achievements and, and what the Bible says is sinful pride. Not many of us would consider ourselves to be prideful people. right? Like We would say, well, I, I don't walk around thinking I'm I'm better than other people. And if I was to ask you to describe a, a, a prideful person, you might say, well, they're arrogant. Maybe they're confident. Maybe they're condescending. Maybe they're patronizing. But you would say, that's not me. I don't walk around thinking I'm better than other people. We would say I'm not a sinful person, but Sorry, a, a prideful person. But the reality is, is that the Bible paints pride to be a very different thing. I mean, take Jonah and the whale, for example. Jonah gets a message from God. He says, I want you to take this message to the city of Nineveh and deliver the message because they've turned their back on God and they need to turn their hearts back towards him. And so Jonah hears the message. There's no doubt that he undeniably understands what God has asked him to do. And so he starts running in the opposite direction. Like he doesn't want a bar of it. He hears what God says, but he starts running in the other direction. Fast forward a little bit and he's on a big boat that conveniently gets hit by a large storm. Jonah gets thrown overboard. He's swallowed by a big fish and he's spat up on the land three days later. When he gets onto the land, God gives him the same message. This time, Jonah hears the message and he finally obeys what God asked him to do. It's like Jonah was asked by God to do something but he concluded that he'd be better off if he didn't. Jonah heard the word of God, but he decided, you know what? Maybe God is wrong on this one. He decided that maybe his life would be better off if he ignored what God had said. The result, well, Jonah ends up delivering the message to the city of Nineveh. He ends up doing the very thing that God asked him to do, but he ended up having to be humbled and turned into Vishwama in the process, right? Don't be like Jonah. Take the story of Adam and Eve. So, In the book of Genesis, we read that God made Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden. And he gave them a command. He said, you can eat from any tree in the entire garden, any tree at all. Like eat the fruit, enjoy it, make a fruit, salad if you want, like lap it up. Just don't eat from that one tree. That tree that's in the middle, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, just don't eat from that tree. Now there is no doubt, there is no denying that Adam and Eve understand exactly what God has asked them to do. And yet in chapter three, verse one, the enemy comes along and he asks this question. He says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Can you see what he's already trying to do? God never said that. God said you can eat from all of the trees, just not that one. And the enemy comes along already trying to deceive in his question. Did God really say you couldn't eat from anything? That's not the case. What he's trying to do is present a half-truth along with a truth to try and catch Eve out. But Eve sees straight through it. She says, No, mate, we're allowed to eat from any of the trees in the garden. We just can't eat from that tree in the middle. God warned us against that tree. He said eating from that tree would harm us. He said eating from that tree would in fact kill us. He said that we would be better off if we didn't eat from that tree. And the enemy comes along and goes, <laughs> You won't die. Like, there's no way you'll die. He says, God just knows that if you eat of it, you'll become like him, knowing both good and evil. And there was something about this statement that sparked something in Eve's heart. She began to imagine what it would be like to have more power than what God had originally entrusted her with. She began to imagine what her life might look like if she had access to more than what God had originally given her. And in verse six, it says, "'The woman was convinced.'" I mean, that's a miracle in itself. I feel like that's the first and only time a woman has made a quick decision on what to have for lunch, right? It's like, just tell me what you want. That's my case with Darcy anyway. We spend third, it's like Netflix. You spend more time picking the movie than watching the movie. We spend more time picking lunch than watching lunch. (laughs) I tend to eat it most of the time. So, so she's convinced and she eats it and then she goes to her husband and she sucks him in too and he eats the fruit. And we know this to be sin, but both Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. You have to understand that this would have broken God's heart. This moment in time is known by biblical scholars as the fall. This is the moment that mankind fell. right? But in Proverbs 16, it says that pride comes before the fall. And so we know that the moment immediately before Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden is a moment that could be identified as biblical sinful pride. Tell you what I don't see. I don't see Adam walking around thinking he was better than Eve. I don't see Eve walking around in a condescending manner thinking that she was better than Adam. What I see is Eve giving birth to this idea in her heart that perhaps there was an alternative way to what God was saying. That perhaps God got this wrong that perhaps there was more to gain if I did it my way. You know, pride in this very moment is being exposed as the moment that they made the conclusion that their ways were above God's ways. So Eve has sold this really incorrect picture of success. She's led to believe that if she has all the knowledge and all the power, she could achieve everything that she wanted to achieve. She's convinced by a well-crafted lie and the result is that she's removed from God's will. You know, the truth is, friends, each of us, desire to live a life that's significant, right? Each of us desire to live a life that matters, that counts for something that had impact. But the truth is you and I are constantly being attempted to be sold a lie every day that is a false picture of success. I mean, I remember when um, I was at school and I got to the end of year 13 and I decided to go to university, study to be a teacher. And I believed with everything in my heart that my teaching degree would result in a teaching job, right? It didn't. But for me personally, I remember that moment so clearly. For me personally, making the decision to go to university was because there was this voice in the back of my head that said, if you want to be successful in this life, a degree is necessary. And so I always had a five or 10 year plan for my life. I knew where I was going to go. I knew what I wanted to achieve and I knew exactly how I was going to achieve it. But it was like the moment I became a Christian, I lost all sight of what my future would look like. And at the same time, I've never experienced so much peace knowing whose hands my future rested in. It's like I completely lost control of my life and yet my life has always been in control. You know, the enemy, he's like a bad magician with no new tricks. He uses the same tactic to plant something in our heart that would draw us away from God's best for our life. He says, did God really say that? And this is why we need to know God's word. Because when the enemy comes along and says, did God really say that? You're like, I don't know. Did he? Right? But if we know God's word, we can confidently stand on it and say, yes, he did. Or no, he didn't. But the enemy's got more in his pocket than that. He says, did God really say that? And if you can confidently say, yes, he did. He says, surely that's not true. So he plants these seeds of deception. Did God really say that? Surely that's not true. See, pride isn't just being arrogant or boastful around other people, but it's this cancerous and destructive perspective that you and I could possibly know better than God. In Isaiah 55, verse eight to nine, God shares his heart with us. He says, you have to understand that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are above your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so pride can sneak into our life in the most unobvious ways. Right? That doesn't mean that you're boastful or arrogant. That doesn't mean that you look down on and think you're better than other people. But biblical sinful pride is that fateful error of thinking we know better than God, of trying to elevate our ideas above his ideas. Come on, can we be real this morning? Like, Pride can be the reason that some people don't give regularly. It's like we read in God's scripture that we had to bring the first portion of what we have to God's house But we're still believing the lie that we could do more with 100% than God could do with our 90. Like we read it, we hear it, and we go, I understand what you're asking me to do. But just like Jonah, we run in the opposite direction. Come on, pride can be the reason maybe that you've got involved in sexual relationships before marriage. It's like we read in God's word that this is not His heart that it's going to hurt us. Just like he warned Adam and Eve about the tree, he warns us about such things. But you know what we do sometimes? We go like, God is good all the time. God. Like God's amazing. And thank you, God, for leading me. Like You've been so encouraging and you've, you've given me wisdom. But when we get to certain things, we go, huh, God's out of touch with 2019. Like It's a bit different nowadays. So God, I'll just, all good for what you've done, but I'll just take this one from here. We elevate our own ideas above God's ideas. Pride can be the reason maybe that you haven't applied for an ELC internship yet because you think there are better options. You think that there are more successful ways to elevate yourself and push yourself forward and maybe just ignoring the call of God might lead you there. You know that God has spoken to you, but you conclude in this moment, Ah, God doesn't really know what's best for me. You're listening to the voices of your mates as they boast about, their incomes and their so-called opportunities. Pride can be the reason that we carry unforgiveness in our heart. Like we read in scripture, it's so very clear that God says to forgive for you so that you could heal, so that you could move on, so that you could have freedom, so that you could have breakthrough in your life. But we say, yeah, 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 I get it. But God just doesn't understand. God just doesn't know what I went through. He doesn't understand how hard that is. and, And yet he does And he's asking you to trust him. Pride can be the reason that you still carry that unforgiveness in your heart. Pride could also be the reason that you're carrying around that addiction or that habit. Because you won't humble yourself to God and say, God, I've been trying to do this day in, day out, week after week. And I can't do it in my own strength. And we can't bring ourselves to ask for help. But God is standing there the whole time going, I want to help you. I want to give you wisdom. I want to give you strength. I want to bring the right people around you. But pride in our heart can keep us from asking God for help. And so we have to stop believing that our future rests in our hands or our boss's hands or our lecturer's hands. And God invites us to place the security of our future into his hands. And I I get that this is scary. I get that you don't have all the information and you don't have all the answers that you need. But can I say for me, in my journey, I have been so compelled by by what I do know about God to trust him with what I don't know. I don't know everything. I don't know why some people are healed at times and why some people are not. I can't answer every question about God. But what I have experienced of him, is love, his grace, his leading, his guidance, his presence in my life, the joy that he brings. What I do know of God, it compels me to say, man, if, if, if my experience of him presents anything of his character, I'm confident and I can trust him with the things that I don't know. Here's some really cool verses for you that give God's heart on, on pride and humility. Um, the first one is Psalm 18, verse 27. It says, you rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. Seems really harsh. God rescues the humble. There is protection when we're humble. James 4, 7 says, humble yourselves before God. That's important. Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, "Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. Humility comes immediately before honor. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Wisdom will come to your life if you'd be humble. And so pride, what we're talking about today, is the opposite of humility. You want to get rid of pride in your life? Just build humility in your life. So often we're concerned with getting something out of our life when actually it's far easier just to fill it with the right stuff. The antidote to pride is humility. And quite often in the Bible, uh, it'll use the word referring uh, to humility, it'll use the word meek, but don't mistake weakness f- for meek. Sorry, don't mistake meekness for weakness. Right? Being meek, being humble, is not weak. There is strength to be gained. Listen, this is what pride will do. Pride will rob you of protection, of honor, and wisdom. The verses that we just read showed us that. It will rob us of protection, of honor, and of wisdom. Isn't this so true with the story of Adam and Eve? The moment that they decided to elevate their own idea above God's idea, they were cast out from the garden. They were cast out of God's protection. The moment that they thought they knew better than God and they could achieve more if they did it their own way, the moment they did that, the Bible says they immediately realized they were naked and felt shame. The moment they elevated their idea, they no longer felt honorable. And the moment that they made this decision to elevate their idea above God's idea, they made a catastrophic decision with a huge consequence that no one would argue was lacking in wisdom. Pride in your life will rob you of protection, of honor, and wisdom. I wanna give you just a few thoughts today um, that are gonna help you build humility in your life because that's what God wants in our heart. He knows that if we would be humble, then he would protect us, he would honor us, and he'd give us wisdom for our life. Is that okay? You can write it in your notes. The first one is this. Um, Humility looks like obedience. Humility looks like obedience. It's a different thing, but it looks that way. You know, pride is the whisper in your ear that says the only good ideas are your ideas. Pride is the whisper in your ear that says if you didn't decide it, you're not a leader. Pride is the debilitating lie that says that you have to get your own way in order to be strong. But if we want to squash out the pride that sneaks into our life, we have to be willing to recognize where our limit lays so that we can trust God with the rest. We have to be willing to accept that our ideas need to be surrendered to God's ideas. You know, what I love most about our senior pastor, Pastor Luke, it's his humility. Like, he is a phenomenal leader. He is like a father to our nation. He is one of the greatest leaders I've ever met. And yet at the same time, he realizes he doesn't have to have the perfect answer to every question. There was a little while ago where none of our auditoriums were painted black. I know this doesn't sound like a big deal. It was at the time. None of our auditoriums were painted black. And at one point, Pastor Luke had a bunch of young pastors and leaders come to him and say, Luke, 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 we should paint like the walls black. It'll be awesome. He's like, I'm not convinced, right? No, we're like, no, 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 it'll be really good because if it's black, it'll be minimalistic and it'll appeal to the next generation. Like, it'll be great. And even though it wasn't Pastor Luke's idea, he recognized that maybe those young pastors and leaders were connected with another generation in a way that he wasn't. Even though it wasn't his preference, he allowed it to happen because he believed that maybe they knew what they were talking about in that moment. You know what I love about that? It's that even though it wasn't his idea, He was confident as a leader. He was secure as a leader. He was secure in his own identity. And he realized, just because it didn't come from me doesn't mean it's not a good idea. And this should be like our approach to God. You know, when you go to the doctor and they prescribe you medication, like you don't actually know if it's good for you. Unless you're also a doctor, right? Can you prescribe your own medication? Probably not. I don't know. You don't actually know if it's good for you but you believe that they're prescribing it to you because they genuinely want you to get well. But there's an element of faith there. There's an element of trust. And can I say that when we try to live our life different from the way that God designed it, it's an issue of pride because we're not willing to submit ourselves to the idea that God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And so what humility does, it's a transfer of decision-making power. I remember seven years ago when my dad passed away, I've got a very broken family and so... And we were down in Wanganui and we had to sort out the estate, sort out the affairs and get everything in order. And there was a mortgage to pay and that whole thing. And the rest of my family, this is not like the arena of thinking. And so I put my hand up and said, I'm happy to represent the family and get this all sorted if that's what it takes. But what I couldn't do is I couldn't just decide that. Like legally, I couldn't do that. What I had to do is say, everyone sign this form. And what you're doing is you're giving me authority to act on behalf of the family. And so they did that. And what it meant was I could make decisions quickly. I could act in the best interests of the family and I could get things sorted properly. This is called the power of attorney. I've been given the power to represent and to make decisions. Can I say that God wants you to give him the power of attorney in your life? He won't take it. In fact, he can't take it. It's against his will. But he says, if you would surrender it into my hands, I could help you in the decision-making process. Because the authority is either in your hands or it's in God's, but it cannot be in both. This is confronting. The authority is in your hands or it's in God's hands, but it cannot be in both. How often do we say, God, why haven't you done anything? Why haven't you helped me? Why haven't you come through? And he's like, because you're holding the authority. Like I'm ready. If you wanna hand it over, if you wanna surrender, if you wanna trust my word and trust the decisions that I could help you make, then maybe you would see breakthrough. But right now the authority is in your hands and I won't take it. But if you give it, I could help you. God's word for your life is not a pick and mix at countdown. Like, I love a good pick and mix at countdown, right? Like, I like taking those ones, little Fijoa ones, like, leave those banana ones, they're gross. I'm like, I like taking what I want and leaving out what I don't. But this is not how God's Word works. It is fully trustworthy. It is fully representative of the heart of God, right? So our lives were designed to be built off the truth of God's Word, not God's Word built off the preferences of our life. Humility looks like obedience. Second thought is that humility is the road to honor. Humility is the road to honor. Proverbs 13 verse eight says, poverty and shame are for those who ignore correction, but whoever listens to instruction gains honor. And Proverbs 15, 33 says, the fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches, but humility comes before honor. You see, honor is one of the most prized possessions in humankind. It's elevated so high that it makes people do crazy things in order to attain it, right? Like sports, people use performance-enhancing drugs to try and cheat the system so that they would be honored for their achievements. It causes colleagues to step all over each other in this frantic climb to the top of the corporate ladder. It leads some to self-promotion and others to tear down the successes of those around them. But as it is with many things in the kingdom of God, the way that we attain honor is very different from how the world would tell us. See, while the world says push higher, work harder, step all over others, promote yourself and attain honor at any cost, God would say, sit down, be humble, right? <laughs> uh, a rapper, Kendrick Lamar, he said that actually. But but God would say, be humble. He would say, be gracious and be generous speak highly of your enemies, promote other people. He's essentially saying what you need to understand is that the way to reach heaven is to fall on your knees. And I get that this is so counterintuitive. When everything we hear in our ear is go, 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 promote, 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 fight, 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 make a name for yourself. And God says, actually, if you would just get down on your knees, I would lift you up in honor. And I get it's counterintuitive, but humility requires us to trust God's word even when it's counterintuitive. Philippians chapter two, verse six to 11. This is Paul speaking about Jesus. He says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. It's like he had it, but he didn't cling to it. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. In obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Jesus humbled himself, God lifted him up in honor. He humbled himself, Jesus, God lifted Jesus up in honor. Gave him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to, glory, to the glory of God the Father. What you have to understand is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Like every knee will bow and every tongue confess. I've heard it said that there's no such thing as a dead atheist. When I first heard that, I thought, well, that did not make sense. But as, as the person that said this explained it, they said, you either discover this beautiful relationship with God in this life or you don't. And when you die, you stand before Jesus. And in that moment, you believe. You stand face to face with God. At that point, everyone believes, but it's just whether you had that relationship with them or not. But in His grace, He allows us to make the decision. He allows us to humble ourselves. And it's so important that we humble ourselves because every person will be humbled. One way will be in surrender, one way will be in despair. You know, sometimes we get set so much so on elevating ourselves. But when we do that, when we elevate ourselves in our own strength, it requires us to maintain ourselves there in our own strength. But when we humble ourselves before God, we place the security of our future into God's hands. His promise is that He will elevate us. He will lift us up in honor and as a result He will sustain us there. So God is the one who elevates. He's the one who promotes. He's the one who brings honor and he's the one who sustains. You know what pride is? Pride is that little whisper in your ear that says, you can make a name for yourself all in your own strength. But if you want your life to be marked with honor, start each day and surrender to the King. If you want God to be the one that lifts you up in honor and elevates you, then start each day lifting him up in honor and elevating him. Third thought and my final one this morning is humility acknowledges grace. I'm going to kill this fly. Imagine I got it though. It'd have been a glorious moment. (laughs) Humility acknowledges grace and gross. (laughs) At the heart of humility is an understanding of the gap. It's the gap between where you are and where God is. And it's the gap between where we are and where we deserve to be. You know, so many people walk around like they're like the bee's knees in the cat's pajamas, right? They're like, I'm the man, right? You've heard that. You've heard that saying. Hard out. It's a good one. eh? Yeah, thank you, Lee, for the affirmation. I appreciate that. So many people walk around like this, but they're oblivious to the platform that they were born onto. Look, crunchy time is so special to us. It's not just something we do because we can, but we actually want to celebrate what's happening in your life. But more so than that, we're praising God. We're thanking God for His goodness. It's okay to be proud of your achievements, but don't do it ignorant to the fact that God afforded you that opportunity. It's okay to be proud of what you achieved, but remember that it was always in partnership with God. Biblical sinful pride is when we try to elevate our own ways, our own ideas, our own decisions above what is abundantly clear in God's Word. When we do that, it robs us of protection, of honor, and of wisdom. You know, there's been a handful of things that I've been proud of in my life, like, Handful might be a bit generous, a few things, <laughs> um, which is really cool. I remember feeling really proud when I got my degree at university. Only person in my family, like, forever to have done that. I remember feeling really proud that I did that. Proud of some of the leaders that Darcy and I have raised in ministry. We were really proud when we bought a house. Proud of receiving an award when I went to ELC. And I remember in year eight, I was really proud that I went in, um, to the high jump championships and I came fourth in Auckland. I was like, that's awesome. Because at year, at year eight, I looked like I was eight. All right, so like, this was amazing. I'm proud of my achievements, but if I think I achieved them all in my own strength, I'm missing the truth of God's word. Yes, you and I have been given gifts and talents and passions to make a difference in this world, but because of the sin in your life, in my life, these are actually squashed and destroyed in the consequence of death. But because God is gracious, he restores us, he makes us brand new and he allows us to get back up and use what we have to make a difference in this life. It's like a kid who's riding a bike, And he thinks he's doing it all on his own. But dad's actually behind him with a hand on the seat. Right? Like he doesn't realize it. He's riding the bike. He's frothing. He's loving it. But at any moment, if dad lets go of the seat, little Jimmy's going to face plant into the pavement. Like be proud of the fact that you're riding the bike. That's amazing. You're doing well. You're doing your part. But never lose sight of the fact that God has allowed you to do that. You know, when I was eight years old, at school, like I said, I was a bit of a boss at Athletics, not eight years old, year eight, look at the same. Um, I was a bit of a boss at Athletics, particularly high jump. And I went one year to the, the competition and I came fourth and I was, I was really proud of myself. And so as a result, when it comes to jumping high, I back myself, right? I wasn't always the tallest high jumper, but I could jump pretty high. Um, Keys, you can join me. Action. That'd be awesome. I want to let you in on a secret though. Are you ready? said that right now, so you'd focus on me and not accident walking. That's like a 10-second window where I could say anything and you don't listen to me. So we'll just wait it out. I'll let you in on a secret. There's this basketball player called Kevin Durant, and he can jump higher than me. Yeah, I know. No, I wouldn't, didn't believe it either. Kevin Durant can jump higher than me. Like if we both jumped onto the basketball court and we started battling it out, apart from the fact that I'm useless at basketball, like you would say that he could jump higher than me. Why? Because the target is the basketball hoop. He would be dunking and I would be missing, right? It would be evident that Kevin Durant could jump higher than me. But that's because the target is the basketball hoop. What if we made the target the moon? If we made the target the moon, you might still argue that Kevin Durant jumps higher than me, but by a pretty insignificant amount. You might be like, yeah, like he jumped higher, but like, The moon's here and Kevin Durant jumps that high and Frosty jumps that high. Like considering the target, I can't even notice the difference. It's like when we have a fresh perspective of the gap between where we are and the target, everything changes. If the target was the moon, it'd be fair to say we could jump pretty much the same height. Even though he can jump higher than me, he is still so, 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 so very far away from the target. He is still so very far away from what he's meant to be hitting. And sometimes we think we're better than the person on our left and our right. But when you realize that the target is perfection, you are still so, so very far away from perfection. And so we both say, I can jump higher than the person next to me. It's like, yeah, but you're still nowhere near it. Romans 3.23 says, we all fall short we've all sinned, we all missed the mark. Now the version says, we all fall short of His glorious standard. It's like God has set the target. He says, if you can reach this, you can have eternity. If you can reach this, you can have perfection, you can have righteousness. But the target is so far away. And pride says, I can jump higher than you. But we have to realize that there's a gap that only God could close. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how much you've excelled in your career. Maybe you've read the whole Bible. Maybe you lead a small group. Heck, Maybe you've even done growth track. That's amazing. But none of that earns our way to God. The only way that that gap is bridged is that God decides to bridge it, and He did that. Sometimes we walk around and we forget that, yes, you've made amazing achievements. That's good. You should be proud of yourself, but acknowledge God's hand in it. Sometimes we can't even see God in it, but understand that God has been a part of your life, whether you've got a relationship with Him or not. Paul understood this. Paul was this guy that basically had it all together. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 to 9, he says this. He says, Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He's like, If anyone could boast, I'm your guy. He's essentially saying, I want you to understand that if if boasting was valid, I would be leading the chase. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Sure. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. He's listing things that were considered honourable in that day. He says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed it without fault. But then he says this, I once thought all of these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What's he saying? I've done amazing things, but there's still a gap. There's still a gap between me and perfection, but I'm recognizing now what Christ has done. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ because God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. I always intended on this message being challenging, but I want you to know that it comes in love. I want you to know that God's heart for you is that you would have a heart of humility so that it wouldn't rob you of protection, of honor and wisdom. God has every desire to work in and through your life, but he'll never enforce himself. He'll never take control. He'll never step into the parts that we don't give him. So I just invite everyone to close their eyes. We're gonna pray.